Good morning again. Who, uh, show me a, some hands. Let's start with some hands. Who remembers playing with something like this? Go ahead. Uh, that was quick. Okay, well, let's look at the, these. Who remembers playing with blocks that look like this? What about blocks that look like, like that? Who's, whose blocks as a kid look like that? Lots of people, you had both, some of you had both of those blocks. Some of you had both of those sets. Okay, let's keep going. Now, now this is the, actually the oldest that I can find, I think. Anybody remember these? Yeah. Molly? Yeah, did you have those in your house? Diane? Yeah? They fit together like, yeah. What were they called? What it said on something on the, oh, what about Lincoln Logs? Where's Alexander? Oh, he's in kids' worship. Alexander still plays with Lincoln Logs today. We've got some in the office here. What, uh, what else? Tinker Toys? Anybody? Tinker Toys? Really? You guys? Yeah? Tinker Toys. Yeah, they're the, they're the best, huh? Okay, go on. Oh, now this is more from my era. Connects. Who remembers Connects? I had Connects when I was a kid. I was always jealous of the, one, the TV commercials where they made the Connects City. I never, I never had anything like that. I just had the little sets, but go ahead. Nowadays, my kids play with these. Yep, Charlotte's got her hand up. What are those called? Do you know? What kind of blocks are those? They're little tiny. They get lost everywhere. You step on the... They're little. They're called plus plus. See how they make little two pluses? They're plus plus blocks, and you can do all kinds of cool things with plus plus blocks. And then, of course, everybody knows, everybody knows uh, the pride of, of Denmark, right? Uh, Lego blocks. Everybody's played with Lego blocks, right? We all play with blocks. Kids always play with blocks. All kids play with blocks in some way, shape, or form because we are builders. We were created to be builders. Like Petra uh, read from us from, the, from, the, from the, 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 the text from the Genesis story. God is the builder with a capital B, but he made us to be little bee builders. He said, take this world now that I've created and have dominion over it. That means do stuff with it, care for it, develop it, fill it with people because you people bear the image of God. So God wants you to fill the earth that he's given us with his image bearers. Of course, if you know the story, that's Genesis 1 and 2. If you know the story, uh, when Genesis 3, unfortunately, Humans aren't happy being the image bearers of a higher power. Instead, what, what happens? The ego gets the best of them. They want to be the higher power themselves. This is the story of what happens when Adam and Eve sin. The, 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 the picture of the, of the serpent there, uh, the, the, the representing chaos. The serpent is the chaos monster. And what do the, the people do? They listen to chaos instead of the God who had just ordered everything so perfectly. Evening, morning, day one. Evening, morning, day two. He had just ordered everything. God is a God of order, but then in comes the, the voice of chaos. And what does mankind do? They give in to chaos, and they invite chaos into God's perfect creation. So we who are called to be builders, we've gone and we've messed it up, haven't we? Not totally, because we're still image bearers. That command from Genesis 1 and 2 uh, to be 
fruitful and multiply and to be image bearers and to, and to take dominion and to do stuff with God, that still, that still is in force. And you think of a city today. You go to a city today, any city today, and think of any big city, you go there and what do you find in the big city? You find the best art that human beings can create. The best orchestras are all in the cities, right? You find what people who are suffering from injustice or uh, somebody has done, and they need a court of law. Where do they go to find the court of law? They're not going, they're not going to, to Butler, Indiana, are they? No, they're going to Fort Wayne. They need to go to the court system where the law and the justice are. But what else do you see in cities? What else do you see in cities? A magnification of the chaos, don't you? They're dirty, right? There, there are gang warfares going on. There are corrupt police departments. There is profane art. There are pornography studios. There's all these problems too, right? Man, that's a picture of the human condition just in microcosm is any city any city. But the point, though, of us being called to be builders, to build cities, we're still supposed to be builders to build cities. And the picture of heaven is God's city coming to this earth and being united with it. Our future in heaven, it's a city. It's with other people, with other image bearers, but with the chaos monster finally banished and destroyed. That's the future that we're heading to. We're going to talk about being builders today a little bit, and we're going to talk about how God is a builder. But the key thing we need to know about God, even though when you and I, when we build something with those Lincoln logs, and then, you know, you ever go out in like April or May after the snow's finally gone for good into the backyard, and there's the Lincoln log set that Tommy had built the fall before, and it looks really weathered and worn and deteriorated. It looks terrible, doesn't it? Everything we build is like that. Everything we build, as soon as you finish your new house, as soon as you finish it, the elements start to tear that thing down, but not with God. First thing I want us to write down today is that what God builds lasts. What God builds lasts. And even though it looks like there's deterioration and decay happening in this world, and in your life too, if you're getting up there in years, you, you know what that feels like. Even though that looks that way, and even though that feels that way, all creation is heading toward restoration. All creation is heading towards restoration. God doesn't waste his time. God doesn't waste his energy. And God doesn't build things except to last. This includes you and me. We're going to go to our scripture today. Patriot did a great job of setting the stage of the book, the letter actually, to the Philippians. Um, and so go back and, and check that out last week. I'm not going to recap all the things that she said and about the church that Paul was writing to at the time. We're going to dive right in. We're going to start in verse 3 of the letter, uh, and, and then we'll see what God has for us today. Read about eight verses today. Let's pray first. Dear Father, would you please open the eyes of our hearts to, to hear from your word, uh, to submit to your word, to believe your word, to, to let your word take root in our hearts and grow, uh, and, and, and to encourage us. Lord, I do think you have a very encouraging word for us today about your work, your building, the, what you're building in our lives. So would you help us to hear that and be encouraged by that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul writes this in, in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God 
in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. I messed that up, didn't I? I didn't do the, in, the inflection right. I'm sorry about that. Let me start over. Let me start over. I thank, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. What am I doing wrong? You know, back in the day, I used to rehearse all my sermons audibly. I would actually speak through them all. I don't do that anymore. I just go through the notes in preparation. And so I'm, I'm outing myself now. This is what happens, see, when you get a little too comfortable. What's the NIV say on that verse, Blaze? Don't feel bad. Has this ever happened to you? Has this ever happened to you reading your Bible? I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Thank you, Blaze. Now I'm going to go back to my version, which is in my notes. So you get the gist, right? He's really thankful for these people. Everybody got that? Okay, we're good. Verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, remember Paul's writing this from prison, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, gospel means good news, the good news of Jesus. For God is my witness. Now I, how I yearn for you. I yearn for you. With all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. With knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word for us today. Philippians 1.6 is a fantastic verse for a memory verse. I put the lines in your bulletin there. As I talk about it, go ahead and write that verse down. It's a really important verse. It's a hugely encouraging verse. Paul is confident. What does he say? He is confident that he who began a good work, think of those building blocks, snap them together, right? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. To the human eye, think about an old person. Some of you don't have to think very hard. Think about an old person, though. They look like they're slowing down, don't they? You're less strong. Your memory fails. Your eyesight is more and more blurry. You can't eat like you used to. You get tired quickly, maybe even a little cranky quicker than you used to. Not naming any names. Hmm. 
it can be tough. It can be depressing. I once had an old friend point out, you know, I fill out a form now like the census or like a survey, and I check the box with my age group, and there's none, there's no more past my box. <laughs> and that's depressing. I had another older person tell me who was, uh, had been to many churches throughout their lives. You know, if you ever think about it, he says, you come to a church and you're, you're 30 with kids, you're like the bee's knees. Like, they swarm to you. They got programs for you. They got rooms designed just for your kids. They got field trips they're taking for you. They got music that is right up your alley. And you come to a church and you're 75 and single. Do you wonder, do these people even want me here? I hope that this church is welcoming to everybody. I think, I think in, in a lot of ways we are. But that reality of getting old, of the world leaving you behind, it's real. People feel that. So if you're young, I mean, just have just a second here for you young folks to have a minute of compassion, of empathy. Because not only can you feel that, what that's like for your grandparents or great-grandparents, that same world's going to do that to you someday. Just being real. The same world that feels like it exists to serve you, and it's all about you because you're young and you're new and you're cool, it's going to do that to you someday. And it's going to come sooner than you realize. You do matter, young or old. You do matter. Even though outwardly, talk about the old folks again for just a second. Even though outwardly, it may look like you're being torn down. It may look like you're petering out. Paul says this is not true. Because God who began a good work in you is still building you brick by brick, and you are closer, you are nearer to completion today than you were back in the prime, quote-unquote, of your life. And God promises that he will see that beautiful work through to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. If you're young and you're going through a hard time or you're just dealing with the stress of new friends, new groups, or... Social media, being cool enough, fitting in. If you're dealing with these stresses, here, look at what Paul, did this church that Paul's writing this letter to, these people were being persecuted just because they were Christians, just because they were saying that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. They were being persecuted, unfriended, ghosted. Canceled. The struggle was real for these people. And yet Paul's saying, look, you will not be abandoned. He who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. Who's began a good work in you? Has God began a good work in you? Absolutely, God has begun a good work in you. And God is not wasting his time with you. You are not a waste of time. And God's investment in you is not a wasted investment. He knows what he's doing. 
He's got you. He's with you where you are. He's seen it before. He's not scared. He's not angry. He's not surprised. What is that work that God began? How do you know if God began a work in you? If he's putting those building blocks together and building something new with your life. How do you know? We know when the Bible tells us there's a series of things that happens. The Bible tells us the first thing that happens is that God knew us before we were ever even made. He knew us before we were ever even made. Ephesians 1.4 says, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Psalm 139 says uh, in this prayer, David's saying to God, um, Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained. That means order put in place. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knew you before you knew you. That should be encouraging. That should be encouraging. God also did what? He adopted you. He adopted you, baptized you into his family, either at birth. Some of you were baptized as infants. Some of you were baptized later when you came to faith. He baptized, and if you haven't been baptized, get baptized, because it's a tremendous Blessing. Not only is it a commandment, but it's a tremendous blessing, and it's a gift both for you and for the church. Romans 8.15 says, The spirit that you all received from God does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership if you're female. So that now you cry, Abba, Father. Abba is that word meaning it's daddy. That's the affectionate response you can have to, yes, God Almighty. You can have that affectionate, intimate relationship with him, daddy. Why? Because he's adopted you. He wants you. How do you know he wants you? Because he converted you. He converted you. You heard about your need for a savior. We talked about our first parents inviting the chaos monster into the world. You've done that too in your life and you know you can't fix it yourself. That's called sin. And you heard that God came into your world to take the chaos upon himself, to suffer under its weight, to die and to bury it. And then God, Jesus Christ, defeated the chaos monster came back from the dead and says, you too will rise again. But I'm getting ahead of myself. When you heard that message and when you heard Jesus say, all Jesus says, come to me, come to me, invite me into your heart and into your life to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you, to renew you. When you heard that, you knew it was for you. You knew it was for you, and you listened to the words of the Apostle Peter, and you did what he said. Repent and be baptized. I'm changing this up from what's in your bulletin. I'm using Acts 2, 38, 39. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he said, this promise is for you, but not only for you. He said, it's for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
the building blocks continue, don't they? You're known before the creation of the world. You're adopted into his forever family, written into the will of heaven. You're an inheritor. You're an heir. And now, how do you know that that's you? Because you were converted. You were converted to faith. And you can't convert yourself. You can't manufacture faith. Faith has to be given to you as a gift. That's how you know that you're his, that you're in the family, that you're adopted. After he converts you, what else does he do with this this new creature that he's building with your life? He sends you. He gives you, measly little tiny old you, he gives you meaningful work to do in your place of work, in your family, in your community, and even in the forever kingdom of God to call other people to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 520, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore people on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You were made for God, be reconciled to God. And then, of course, the the, the final step of the, the building project that is your life is that God will resurrect you one day. I told you I was getting ahead of myself. This is where I was going. God will resurrect you one day. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 says, For the perishable must clothe itself. Think of the imagery. The imagery now. The perishable, that's you and me, must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. The vision is you putting on what? The righteousness of Christ. You putting on the robes if you will, of Jesus Christ that will never tarnish or wear or tatter. And now, which of these is affected by you getting older? Which one? Which one of those building blocks is affected by you getting older? Anybody? None of them. Not all of them. None of them, Larry. Just because you're getting older doesn't mean that God knows you less. It doesn't mean that he's adopted you less. It doesn't mean that he's, that, he's, that he's converted you less. It doesn't even mean that he's sent you less. That you don't have purpose in the world anymore. See, a lot of people think the height of my Christian walk is when I can do the most good for God. When I can give the most money. When I can rally the most people. Maybe if I'm a pastor or preacher, rally the most people in a room like this. When I can lead the biggest organizations or, or go on the most mission trips to the most difficult places of the earth. That's not the height of your Christian walk. That's not the height of Christian maturity. I didn't put this on a screen, but I should have. Christian it looks like it looks more like this. It's when God being glorified is greater than, if you want to jot this down, God glorified is greater than me satisfied. That's a great thing to jot down. God glorified is greater than me satisfied. When that starts to happen in your life, oh, that's good. That's good because a lot of people don't even get there. A lot of people don't get there. They just stay in, absorbed in the, in the me satisfied, me satisfied, me satisfied. Whatever's wrong needs to be fixed. Me satisfied, me satisfied. And that's not, 
necessarily a bad place to be. I don't think God wants you to be miserable. The desires of your heart, they're not irrelevant. It's not like they don't matter. But you know you're maturing in your faith. And this is a tremendous sign of assurance of your salvation. I really am saved. When God being glorified becomes a little more important than me being satisfied. And you know, when you really get there is when that greater than sign turns into an equals sign. And that's what it's going to be like in heaven, by the way. God glorified equals me satisfied. God being glorified is what's satisfying to me. That's the goal. That's the telos, to throw a Greek word at you. The telos, the extent, the aim, the, 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 the trajectory of where we're heading. Picture that in your mind now. That's what Christian maturity looks like. Let's go through a few uh, uh, the other verses here from our text to peel them apart and see, see what else Paul has to say for us. I want to I look at verse 8. He says, he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. Do you yearn for fellow Christians? You yearn for them? Do you yearn for them? Have you even gotten a glimpse of what it might mean to yearn for fellow Christians as if they really were your flesh and blood? The Greek here literally means I yearn for you with the affection of Christ literally means in the bowels. It does. You know why they talk that way? In the bowel? What, 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 when, you, when you get butterflies, where do you get them? When you're really super nervous, right? It's in your tummy, right? You're super nervous. Or you're super excited. Where do you feel it? In your tummy, right? That's what he's saying. I, I, that's the feeling Paul has for these Christians. That when I think about you, I get butterflies. Really? How is that possible, Paul? I think, okay, there's an example that I've used with my kids. Are my kids here? Some are sick. Some are sick. If you're wondering where they are, they're sick. Keep your distance. One thing I will do is when two of them are fighting, especially when the older is mistreating the younger, I will take the older one apart and I'll say something like, how dare you treat my baby that way? Now, the baby can be just as ornery and snotty, of course, as the bigger kid. But what does that do when I say that? You know what it does? It jars the bigger one a little bit. It's surprised that she doesn't expect me. She, talk, she expects me to say, your sister. Don't treat your sister. Don't treat another person like that. Don't treat, right? But when I frame the littler one as my little girl, don't treat my little girl that way. What's that do? It changes the, the perspective, doesn't it? Oh, now, now we're not just talking about this annoying sister of mine. That annoying sister of mine is daddy's little girl. See? 
Do you know when we talk about other people, when we interact with other people, you're talking to and you're interacting with daddy's little girls and daddy's little mans, if you will? How would you feel if your little girl or little boy worked for an hour coloring a picture for you and then brings it to you beaming with pride and shows it to you and then somebody that you have over at your house for dinner just rips it out of their hands and say, that's ugly. How would you feel? I mean, it might be ugly. Objectively speaking, it might be ugly. They might draw you a picture of a frog that looks nothing like a frog. They might be wrong. But do you see where I'm going with this? If they're, if they're children of God, see, we can be so critical, especially we, not especially, I shouldn't say, it's, it's not a reformed thing. It's all Christians. All Christians can be so critical thinking, we have the right way. We know what's right. And then it's not enough to just be confident that we have the right thoughts about this, but look how we look down upon people who don't. And isn't that kind of what that's like? Even if their theology of baptism isn't right like ours. (laughs) To denigrate them, though, to rip it out of their hands and say, that's ugly. How must God their Father view that? Can you see people who are different than you as God sees them? I think that's a, a marker. That's a beginning. It's a beginning toward that maturity where Paul shows us we need to get to. Because Paul's got butterflies when he thinks of God's people. I have work to do. I have work to do. He says in verse 9, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That's just the same idea. As you think about people, not as you see them, but always as God sees them. Always as God sees them. Your love for them can abound more and more. He says, going on in verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge and all discernment. Sometimes uh, you have to get to a certain age before you have true knowledge and discernment. Knowledge means you understand who you are as a creature in relation to your creator. Discernment, it means, discernment means you can see right and wrong. Discernment means you can see right and wrong. So young people, young people here, I know there's a lot of young people here, just try to be humble. I know it can be annoying sometimes, people telling you what to do all the time or telling you how, how to think. I understand that's annoying sometimes. But know this, when you, you're not, your mind isn't done yet. Your mind isn't finished, forming. And you're thrown in, increasingly in today's world, where everybody's got a smartphone, you're thrown into a world made by and made for grown-ups. And their minds are full, fully formed. And a lot of those grown-ups know exactly what they're doing trying to get something out of you. Clicks, likes, money, or something worse. So young people, 
Look to your parents, grandparents, the people who love you, even if you think they're wrong sometimes. Look to the people who love you and just be humble. They are a little bit taller than you. And you know, the, I think it's Fuller, um, what's her name, Kara Powell at Fuller Youth Institute. I think she uses this phrase that she can see around the corner. She can see around the corner. The grown-ups in your lives, they can see around the corner. You know, if you're walking down the street together, that's the, this is a picture, young people. You're walking down the street with the grown The grown-up can see around the corner a second, a split second before the teenager or the, or the middle schooler, right? That's all we're saying is sometimes the grown-ups in your life and the grown-ups in this church, they've been through stuff. They've been through stuff. And some of that stuff they want to protect you from. They can see around the corner a split second before you can. Verse 10 says, Paul says, so that you can approve, so that you approve what is excellent. I like the New Living Translation says that, paraphrases that this way. It says, I want you to understand what really matters. I want you to understand what really matters. What really is excellent? What really does matter? Two good questions. Seriously, think about it for a second. What really, really is excellent? What really, really does matter? Fame? Success? Fixing my aches and pains? Retirement account? Or God's kingdom coming because it's coming? God's will being done. God's name being glorified. Paul goes on, he says, And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Funny thing happens as you walk with the Lord, you actually do get better. It works. This discipleship thing, this pray and read your Bible and go to church and be with it, it, it works. Yeah, it works. You really do get better as you're being built up brick by brick. You behave more because you're moved by his love. You understand what really matters. You love God's people, and you wouldn't want your actions to reflect poorly on them. You don't want your actions to reflect poorly on them. People know you go to this church. You go out there and you behave like a fool. They're going to think everybody in this church behaves like a fool, or at least this church, they like having fools around at that church. You don't, want, you don't want to reflect poorly on God's people because you love these people. You also don't want to offend God because you, you don't want to let God down. Even though you know God's not going to love you any less, we're not talking about that. God could never love you any less. But you don't want to disappoint him because you know how much he loves you and you love him too. In verse 11, Paul says he wants his readers to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Those are good works. 
Other people look at your life. Man, they can see something's different about you. That's what Paul wants. It all comes from knowing Jesus. And the purpose of it isn't so that people say, wow, look how good that guy is. But so that people can say, glory and praise to God for what God has done in that person's life. Now, has this been a sermon for old people or for young people? I say, yes, it has been. Uh, in some ways, it's been, a, it's been a, a sermon for old people. Old people, the voice of discouragement that tells you you don't matter anymore is the voice of the devil. He's a liar and the father of lies, the Bible says. And the fact is, if the world is treating you like you matter less, look how they treated Jesus, who mattered more than anybody else ever, ever, ever. And if the world is treating you like you matter less, consider that an opportunity. Consider that an opportunity to, to maybe matter a little less in your own heart as well so that God can matter more. As we are all living our days heading towards death, we know this, this isn't anything, I'm not telling you anything new here. At the end of the day, we will be put, all of us, into a box and hopefully people will say nice things about us. But at that point, all of the earthly things will be taken from our hands. At that point, finally, all that we have will be taken from our hands. I mean, I agree? Yes? Blessed is the man or the woman who has already let most of them go. The one who goes to that box with clenched hands, who just can't give up the things of this world. Well, they're just not as blessed as the one who goes with open hands. But young people, young people, this has been a sermon for you too. The Lord has begun to work in your life. He's speaking to you. Are you listening? He's called you to this place. He's called you to this point in life. And he would tell you, he does tell you through the Bible, that you are loved so much more than you can even begin to understand. But you are loved not because you're good, not because you're talented or well-liked, or you have a nice you know, Instagram feed and lots of followers. But he would tell you that you are loved because he made you, and he made you to look like him, and he died for your sin because he wants to be with you forever. So, young people looking at older people, this is where life leads. Look to Jesus for your importance and for your purpose now so that when life slows down, you don't feel like you're losing everything you've worked for, those clenched fists. Young people, look to Jesus now for who you are, for why you're worth so much. Old people, two thoughts. I love some of you can't figure out if I'm talking to you or not when I keep going back and forth, right? Where's the line? I don't know. But I have two thoughts for old people. So you can't do what you used to. 
what I just say to those young people. Your value never came from what you could do anyways. It never came from what you could produce or how many people you could influence or educate. Never. Your value always was rooted in the fact that you have a father who made you, who made you to look like him, and who wants to be with you, and who's looked over the horizon every day, ready to run to you and sweep you up in his arms at the first sign of that first tuft of hair coming over this horizon, you coming back home to him. Second, okay, so first you're slowing down, you can't do what you used to. Big deal, that's never what made you special anyways. Second, it's never too late to start living. One of the most famous conversions in the Bible is that thief on the cross who, as he is literally bleeding out, says, Jesus, remember me when you, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus promises him, today you'll be with me in paradise. His simple confession of faith has inspired Christians for thousands of years now. What will it look like for you to use the time that you have left to let God love you and maybe to inspire future generations from what that looks like. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and how it speaks to us in every, no matter where we are, no matter who we are, your, your word still speaks and it speaks truth. It cuts to our hearts. It exposes the lies of the devil it, and, it, and it, it gives just passion and conviction to your faithful people. We want to be your faithful people. Please let this word take root in our hearts so that we can be lights shining out there so that others will see our good works and glorify you, our Father who is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.